Hi, my name is Beth, and I am the host of the Seeking Light podcast. In a world that presents us with growth and challenges, there is tremendous light. And this podcast is a source of light through scriptural insights that I have gained through the years. Come join me as I share light in a world that can sometimes be confusing. Today's podcast episode is an interview with my brother-in-law, Zach. Um, I was very grateful to be able to have him share his story with you and his journey of finding the Savior and joining the church. And I think that in life, we have family members and friends that we sometimes think there's just no hope and they're too far gone. But truly, nobody is too far gone, and there is hope for all. And it made me think about the prodigal son and how he went and spent his inheritance and lived a riotous life. But when he returned, his father loved him and welcomed him and provided a feast to celebrate his return. And so I feel like with Zach, he is a wonderful example of coming to the Savior after a life that was full of difficult things and places that we would probably never have imagined him returning from, but he did. And so I hope you enjoy listening to Zach and I on this episode of Seeking Light. Okay, so today's episode, I shared with you this opportunity I have to talk to my brother-in-law, Zach, and Zach has an incredible conversion story, and I'm excited for all of you to hear it, and I think that as you listen to him, you will feel inspired to live a better life and to be a better disciple of Jesus Christ, and so, Zach, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Beth, how are you? (laughs) Good. So it's just so so the audience knows it's very fun interviewing family because you have to try to act like you're a podcaster and they see you as a sibling. So Zach yeah. and I, this is a little awkward, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah we know each other really well, right? Yeah, so. <laughs> okay, so Zach is married to my mm-hmm. sister-in-law, JJ. And um, Zach, I just want you to start telling uh, the audience about your life. Start when you were young. Just tell about your your parents just growing up, a little about if you had religion in your life, um, anything that you feel would be pertinent so you can set the stage of where your life went to and how you found the Savior. Yeah, okay. So um, I guess the start, which is, which is part of the big irony, is I was born in Salt Lake City, um, <laughs> but my parents are not members. Um, and when I was young, we, you know, really young, uh, we didn't stay in Salt Lake long. We moved to France. And then uh, when I was about three or four, we moved to Tempe, Arizona. And I guess that's I, I, my earliest things I remember, I don't know, churchy or religion wise was going to church with my mom. And I think it was, um, I think it was Lutheran. So she's, she's Swedish and she's, she's pretty spiritual. Um, but we didn't, we didn't really have like, you know, uh, she didn't really have church in her life when she was growing up either, but I know she wanted to go to church. I think she had some friends that that went to like the Lutheran church. So, so we went to the Lutheran church and, um, I remember stories of her telling me, you know, that I was, I was always really disruptive and, 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 and would always embarrass her like uh <laughs> like like we would be in the i guess what the equivalent of like the chapel and it's really quiet and, and and i'd be acting out and she'd tell me to be quiet except she wouldn't say be quiet she'd say something you know something else and then i would say in a really loud voice that something else back to her don't tell me to be quiet and then of course she would get really red in the face and everyone would turn around and and then um i remember there was um uh, there was seminary, but I used to call it cemetery. And I'd say, yay, we're going to the cemetery, way to go. And she would get really embarrassed. So um, I don't know if I was the reason, but anyway, we stopped going to church. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
<laughs> but um but but and that was like the earliest thing right and and so um you know my parents are awesome and and we had a really good life growing up you know i had a good life growing up you know pretty wholesome and stuff like that and we lived in malaysia when i was in like uh third fourth fifth and sixth grade which at that age for me it was like the late late 80s um was early 90s was really awesome um you know basically living in a, in a jungle you know tropical rainforest we had like snakes in our backyard and and herds of monkeys would go through it was super cool thunderstorms rainy season super hot crazy vacations so like you know cool beaches that were nearby um and then we moved back to arizona when i started uh junior high and um and you were an only child too i need to make sure and tell the audience oh yeah 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 that's a big part of everything jj J- tell you that's like a huge part of why i am the way i am is because i'm the only <laughs> Which, yeah, you know, knowing what I know about, you know, a lot of members of the church now, that's kind of a kind of a rare thing and a unique thing. But anyway, um, it was it was in Mesa, Arizona, which, you know, the other irony is that's kind of a hot spot for um, members of the church. Right. But um, I was in junior high and I had a good friend, one of my good friends and my family's good friends. They were members of the church. And I remember. Um, uh, they invited me to church maybe like once or twice, and it was the first time I went to like a, you know, a LDS chapel, and I don't remember much of it. I remember we like running around the halls maybe the two times that I was there, but I remember um, he was in the scouting program when we did scouts, and I remember going on a couple camping trips with them, and that was pretty cool and that was fun. Um, but but really, you know, I didn't really pay much attention to it at all, or wasn't really. Uh, you know, I wasn't really interested in that type of thing. Um, and then my freshman year of high school, we moved to Mexico. And, and my dad, just so you guys know, my dad worked for Motorola. And he was like an overseas plant manager type dude. So whenever they had, um, you know, a new plant going up uh, somewhere outside the United States, they'd send my dad and like his team of folks to get it all up and running. So that's why we got to live in like cool places of the world. Um, but, but I was, you know, ninth grade. So that's when I, 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 I started to become spiritual, I guess, at that moment, you know. Um, what did that, when you say you started to become spiritual, like, what did that look like to you at that time? Yeah, yeah. So it was, I, I, I believed in like a higher being. And part of it was just I have overactive imagination. So I, I was into like, maybe like mysticism or like, magical type things you know but I was into 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 things like things that you would consider spiritual like if you were to go to like uh Sedona or Jerome in Arizona and like you know to see people peddling crystals and things like that like like those things at that time in my life I was like oh that's cool you know um and and it was just because of that just because I was like I think that stuff is cool um but I really didn't pay much attention to it other than um, other than um, I was, you know, in ninth grade, you know, and a teenager, you know, roaring teenager. And, and those types of things were, were kind of cool to me. But I was also living in Mexico. So um, that's when I started to get in a lot of trouble because I was, I was kind of a, um, you know, a only child. Um, maybe a little privilege, or at least I didn't have to worry about much. So, so I, I kind of ran with the wrong crowd. Um, got into, you know, that's when I was like 14, started smoking, drinking. We would make fake IDs and go to clubs. Then all of a sudden, you know, one of my friend's brothers smoked a lot of pot. And so got into that scene, um, which was really where kind of all of this began. Um, uh, you know, and, and actually, you know, pornography was a large part of it too. Just really, you know, and, and I, here I am a freshman in high school and, and having all of this exposure and, and it really wasn't good. And it, it reflected in my, you know, I got in fights at school and I was flunking out of school and we were living in Mexico and, you know, my parents kind of had enough. And I think honestly, I was kind of, I was kind of looking forward to it, but they're like, Hey, we're going to send you to boarding school in Arizona. I was kind of like, cool, <laughs> get me out of here, thanks. Um, 
and so yeah my sophomore uh, junior and senior year I spent at a boarding school in central Arizona about 90 miles north of Phoenix kind of in the desert on a ranch and um, it really didn't it didn't get better <laughs> like the things I was involved with um, because then it was a co-ed ranch so it was kind of all the same things that, that I started when I was in Mexico but then now I was with girls so now I had, you know, premarital relations with girls because, I don't know, it's a co-ed atmosphere and, 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 you know, nobody's parents are there and there's, there's, you know, a big staff of adults. Um, but we would, we were, we were, you know, <laughs> you, you went to the school cause you were either smart or a troubled child and I'm not that smart. So, so we found ways to circumvent all sorts of anything they tried to do, which is a lesson for you parents. <laughs> If, if you have children that, that are like that, they'll find a way to circumvent just about anything that you want to try and put in place. Um, but at the same time, and I think this is probably one of the best positives that came out of me going to boarding school, was I, um, there was a, a teacher there who was also the school psychiatrist, psychologist, and he taught anthropology classes and sociology classes. He was a PhD, really cool guy. Um, and I really bonded with him and he was, and as crazy as this sounds, he was a, a, a druid, <laughs> you know? So again, this is close to Arizona and, and, and Jerome or close to Sedona in Arizona and Jerome. So, so like the, the druids were like the ancient, uh, uh religious people in, in Europe and England in like the Germanic period, you know, and then they turned kind of turned into Vikings and things like that. So, so, um, but I, again, here I am, you know, teenager and I'm like, Whoa, that sounds cool. Um, and it was a lot about like meditation and, and, you know, burning incense and, 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 uh, spirit journeys. And again, this is central Arizona out in the desert. So there's a large native American population too. So, that was, and he's an anthropology teacher, so I got exposed to a lot of Native American culture too. So that whole, you know, spirit trip thing was a big was was not a big, not a big deal, but it was prevalent in the area. And again, being a teenager, I was like, oh man, I thought that was cool. Um, so I kind of got into that just just on a like a casual basis. Um, but it really started me thinking about the bigger picture when it comes to like, you know, why are we here? What's all this about? you know, the idea of a, of a, you know, supreme presence in the universe, you know, that that's there. And so I, if, if as misguided as all that was, I did have that, um, that feeling that there was something bigger than me that was really good. And, and I kind of always had that. Um, then I graduated high school. Um, the, 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 bad elements that I was into didn't stop um went to you know went to go live uh, with my folks who that by that time had moved back to Chandler Arizona and um stayed with them for a summer and a semester of community college <laughs> um and then my friend you know who I went to high school with he's like hey let's we're get, let's get an apartment I was like yeah let's get an apartment so I'm like 18 and a half and we go get an apart apartment in Scottsdale, which was probably, which was a really bad idea, given the, the types of things we were into, but we basically just partied the whole time. Um, and I had a job, so I had money, and we had friends, and I had my own place, and so you were, just you were started... part of a band too, right? At that time, were you part of a band? Yeah, close, we're getting there, so, so I kind of hadn't explained it, but when I was 12, my dad got me a guitar because I was really into music and I started playing guitar and really getting into music and playing a lot of guitar. And then when I was in Mexico, I took flamenco lessons. So I was, by the time I graduated high school, I was pretty good at guitar and I was started, you know, writing my own songs and, and kind of, you know, cheesy recordings in my living room, just, just to keep myself occupied with, with music. Um, but yeah, eventually gearing up for, for band life. Um, so, so then it was like seven months we were in Scottsdale and then, um, 
because my dad's cool and he likes to set me up for success. He 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 co-signed on a, on a condominium in Tempe, Arizona, uh, uh, 1511 East Dunbar Drive in like 1997 or 98. Yeah, it must have been 97 because I graduated in 96. So a um, bunch of my buddies moved in there, which was great for me because well not great for me but at the time great for me because I could rent out the rooms which paid for the mortgage and I didn't have to have a job <laughs> like this is awesome I don't have to work so I can do whatever I want um and that's when I started really getting into music but that's when like the mischief really kind of started taking off too um and and a couple years you know fast forward a couple years I've transferred to ASU and I uh, met a lot more people, um, and that's when I started getting into bands. So yeah, I uh, was in the band scene in the Phoenix area for a while uh, with, with a band that, that was my band, I called my band, and then played, played different instruments, various instruments, and sang you know, for other people's bands, and just really was having a good time, and just kind of the party was just continuing on, you know? And, um, and we how would old have, did you by that point? Like, was, had that taken, did it take five years? What, how many yeah, years? Yeah, so, so maybe like early 20s, 22, 23, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, it must have been 22, 23, or maybe 24. That, that whole time span. Just started playing, you know, played a lot of gigs, just played in bands. We had, you know, different studios in the Tempe area, always right, you know, down, down the street from ASU. So I would go to college and then after, after school or between classes, I'd, go to the studio and just be playing all the time and I had a drummer and, and I would just convince him to go there all the time um and then it became more and more that I'd, I'd stop going to school and I'd just spend more and more time in the studio just because that's where I wanted to be but that's where also a lot of the bad elements were and and nothing against you know that you know lifestyle and bands you know because there's a lot of bands that don't have bad elements it wasn't the music that was the problem it was it was me <laughs> um but um but that, that's what i did and, and eventually i just kind of started living at the studio and um and just rented out my house you know basically dropped out of college and just was trying to be a musician uh essentially going nowhere <laughs> but i was able to do what i wanted to do with no real future, but at that time it was just fine because I could get away with it. Um, and then I think the big thing is uh, Alex came along. So that kind of lasted till I was like 26. And then um, a girl I was dating at the time, uh, I got her pregnant. And so that was kind of like the oh crap moment where um, it's sad to think about at the time, but I remember her telling me like, hey, I'm pregnant. And like my first reaction was like, oh man, we need to get an abortion. There's no way like I can go through with this. And, and, and no way I could, you know, we could be parents given the lifestyle that we were living. Um, but we, I guess we had the sense to talk to our parents about it. And then my parents, you know, I, I love my parents and um, always had a really good relationship with them despite all my shenanigans. So I remember talking to them about it and they were, you know, both of our parents convinced us not to do that. And um, we actually thought, you know, the girlfriend at the time, that okay, well, maybe we can make a go at this and, and, and maybe, you know, get married one day and, 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 and try to be a family. So that's what we tried to do. Um, but we were we, we we really weren't like me and, and, and my girlfriend at the time we really weren't like uh, you know in love so to speak. Uh, we, we dated probably about a year before she gave birth, and um, you know I, at least I was probably more than her you know kind of messed up in, in drugs and alcohol, and, and so <laughs> I wasn't in any position you know really to 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 be a, a good you know, partner, and I don't think she was either, we just, you know, we were just together probably because I was the only, you know, we were the only people we had, but then um, Alex was born, and that was the first thing that, like, changed uh, my life, so, um, and I don't know what it was, but I just felt this, like, 
total sense of responsibility. Um, and, and I, and I, it was kind of mostly because I was freaking out, but I had good work ethic and I just knew that, okay, I can't, I, now there's this little baby that is depending on me. So, um, I need to take care of it. <laughs> and at first I wasn't, I was not good. And it was really hard because, you know, I, I felt, I felt really gypped because, um, our, our parents and, and, and her parents, you know, and everyone we talked to said, you know, you'll be okay. You know, people go through these things. It's not going to change your life, but man, it totally changed my life. And then funny thing, and I love my parents to death, but, but about a month and a half after Alex was born and they had planned this, but it didn't help me out. They retired, moved to Montana. <laughs> so I'm an only child. That's my, basically my only support structure leaves town. And here I am with Alex. Um, and then on top of all of that, uh the you know his mother and I were not getting along and I was worried because in my view you know and 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 from my point of view you know the she still wanted to kind of stay in that element where we were in maybe not the element I was in but the element she was in and I was I was kind of wanting to get past that and um it came to a point where she was like well look I'm I'm leaving and Alex was oh, two months old. He was two months old. Yeah, he was two months old. And she's like, I'm leaving. And at that point, I was like, good, go. I, you know, I don't want to be around you either. Um, so she left. And, and so then it was just Alex and I, basically. And I mean, she was, you know, of course, we kept in contact. But she, she, was, she was kind of out of the picture for a while there. Um, um, and then it was just me and Alex and that's, that's when it was the toughest. Um, and we have a joke in our family, especially between Alex and I, where I say, and this helps us because now, now he's 15, almost 16. And of course, fathers and sons at that age sometimes don't always get along, but we joke around and say, you know, for the first six months of his life, I hated him and he hated me because it was really hard and he was colicky and he had the course had the most expensive formula and of course at this time I had to kick everybody out of my house so I didn't have any income so I had to get a real job um, uh, and I went you know was a temp working at the Intel corporation in the Arizona area um, but at least I had a steady income and then slowly we just we just worked into a pattern where every day every morning I would get up get myself ready get Alex ready, take him to daycare. And he was the youngest kid at the daycare. I had to convince him because they were like, well, we don't take kids until they're usually like two years old. And I was like, oh, I need help now. <laughs> and um, they took him and um, I'd go to work. And after work, I'd go pick him up. I'd come home. I'd get him, you know, cleaned up and some dinner and, and we'd play and, and then I'd get him to bed. And this was our routine. And then I would just look forward to getting him to bed every night because it was allow me like an hour or two where I can, this was the thing I would have my three beers, you know, and chew my tobacco um, and watch TV. I was, I was lucky enough to, at the time um, before he was born, you know, kick the drug habit, um, which at that time was just mainly smoking a lot of pot, but I was, I was like, I can't do this around a kid. Um, so I was able to get out of that, but I was still drinking a lot and, smoking and chewing um not so much smoking because i didn't want to smoke around a child i thought that was tacky <laughs> um but but i still chewed a lot and that was the routine for a long while and his his mother would come in you know maybe at first it was you know kind of frequently every couple weeks or something to, like give him a bath or just say hi or something like that but then she would go for more weeks at a time so really it was just him and i and we had this routine and we we're in this little condo. It's like a townhouse in Tempe. Uh, we were like the third house in, everybody shares a wall type condo. And it was just him and I, and, and we, you know, in the summers we would take, cause I would, I would have no, nowhere to go on my vacation. So I would just save up all my vacation and do like two weeks each summer at my parents' house in Montana, which was crazy because I would fly into Salt Lake city with a with a you know six month old or a one year old or a one and a half year old just me and I'm 27 at this point, which which you know I think in in the LDS culture, 
is probably you're probably on your second or third child usually but for me I was like what this is you know so new um and then I'd have to take a five hour like shuttle ride up to um like Twin Falls Idaho with this infant and 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 it was just so stressful with the crying baby and everything and being a dude anyway it was hard um and this went on for like two years how two did years you, how and, and so um maintain, how did you maintain the strength to keep going when kind of the odds were stacked against you your parents were gone you still you yeah know, in that temp job how did you do it how did you find the fortitude to do it I, so so i can tell you where it brought me to i don't know but here's i guess maybe a little bit not a story, but just to, just to give you an example. So um, I don't know how many times at night um, Alex would just, and to this day, hates going to sleep. <laughs> he would not want to sleep like at all. And I don't know how many times in the middle of the night, of course, I'm getting no sleep. I would have to wake up and, and try to try to soothe him because he's crying. He's really colicky and I'd get a bottle ready, but he wouldn't want it. He'd be fussy and still crying. And I think I have permanent hearing damage in my left ear because of it, because I would cradle him in my arms and his head would always be on my left bicep, which is another funny thing too, because I'm a guy. And when I flex in the mirror, my left arm is always bigger than my right arm because all the nights I, held, I was up holding Alex in my arms because some of you may know this, for whatever reason, you can hold a crying baby um, in your arms sitting down and they'll still be crying. But when you stand up, it's like that extra two feet. They just stop crying. So, of course, I have to be, it's like, you know, one in the morning, two in the morning. You know, I just got to bed at 11 at night. And here I am in his room cradling this baby, trying to get a bottle in his mouth. And then you have to move back and forth, too. And I remember doing that night after night after night. And just I'm so many nights just like crying because I'm like, this is insane. I'm so, this, I'm just like, you know, worn down to a nub. <laughs> and I was like, if this goes on any further, I just don't know what to do. But it just became autopilot. And I just, I, I you know, so what I started doing, and, I, and I'll never forget this either, is I would lay in bed finally when he'd calm down and um, go back to some of those spiritual roots, you know, looking back on it now, I didn't realize at the time, but looking back on it now, it's what I was doing. And um, I would say, Lord, this is, I was praying, I would pray. And this is what I would say. I'd say, Lord, please help me. <laughs> and that's pretty much it. And um, I would, I would get into a routine of trying to do that and say it, you know, as many times as I could, you know, kind of before I'd fall asleep. Um, just because, just because life sucked <laughs> at that time. It was just so hard. It was very bleak. Um, and, 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 and it was just, you know, it was rough. But that's what I would do. So I, I want to say a part of me lent or, or, or uh, leaned on this, this bit of spirituality that I did have and um, prayer just just asking the Lord, you know, what I knew at the time, you know, how I understood prayer at the time, just for help. That's all. Um, and, and I just kept doing that for like probably two years because it was two years before um, your then sister-in-law moved right next door to me. So, so my wife, I fill that in. Yes. So JJ was a single woman who lived in Tempe and she had made a decision that she wanted to buy um, a place and she bought a house as a single person right next to Zach's wall. Weren't they connected at the walls, Zach? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're right next door connected at the walls. It's a townhouse, right? Townhouse yeah. complex. Okay. So go ahead. Tell more about that. So JJ moves in and what happens? Yeah, so she moves in, and I knew I had a new neighbor, but I didn't care. Um, I was just <laughs> in my routine. <laughs> uh, so I get up in the morning, you know, get myself ready, get George ready, and go to, go to work. You go to take care, go to work, come back. Anyway, about, I don't know, 
You, you mean probably you mean Alex? You said George. That's there. Oh yeah, sorry. George <laughs> is my younger son now. No, <laughs> Alex. So um, this was all with Alex, and 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 I was gonna say JJ probably tells it. She probably well. We all have different viewpoints. She probably tells it a lot better than I would, but I can't. And she's much more better on the timelines. But at a certain point, maybe a couple of months after she moved in, our our paths kind of crossed. I think I was coming home, and she was leaving in her car and she kind of stopped and pulled out the window and said like, hi. And I was like, I, I felt, I was like kind of excited, you know, I was like, oh yeah, my neighbor, I want to, want to, did want to meet this person. And so I, I ran in and put, put Alex down real quick. I said, hang on. And I went and put Alex down real quick. Um, and then ran out there and just like said hi or something like that. And so we said, hey, I'm Zach. She said, hi, I'm JJ. I just was like, okay, yeah, cool. Um, nice to meet you. And then she kind of drove off. And then we didn't, I didn't, didn't, I don't think I saw her really. We had anything, you know, didn't converse for another while um, yet still. And then this is the, this is the, the fateful day when um, my truck was stolen. <laughs> so this must've been, I think this was November of 2000 maybe seven and I'm doing my routine and I, I go out to the carport to put Alex in the truck and take him to daycare and the, you know the only thing different today is my truck's not there so I probably stood there for 10 seconds looking at this blank spot not understanding what happened and then come to, you know, then you, if you've ever had a vehicle stolen, you have that, oh, my truck was stolen. <laughs> so I go back inside. Uh, this changes my routine. And I call the police. And they're like, okay, we'll send somebody out. And then I'm sitting there thinking, what do I do next? I call my parents. And they're like, call the insurance company. And I go, mm, you know what? That costs money. And I didn't have a lot of money so I didn't have auto insurance so I was just total loss anyway the police show up and I'm out in the, in the little garage carport area and I'm talking to them about stuff and then JJ comes out and she's we share a carport too and she comes over because she sees the police and she's like hey what happened and I was like hey um my truck was stolen did you hear anything last night did you see anything she's like no I didn't sorry and I was like yeah it's okay all right, thanks for checking in, you know. And she said, well, hey, what are you going to do for transportation? Something like that. I was like, I don't know. I'll figure something out. She said, well, I have an extra car. And, you know, it just turns out that she had an extra car. You could count the miracles, I guess, if you want, like, throughout this story or something. I never have. But I probably should. But um, she worked for a company in HR where they gave her a car to travel, like a business car. So she had her regular car. And it went something like this. I was like, I'm like, no, I'm not going to borrow your car. I don't even know you. Why would you, why would you lend a total stranger your car? And so um, she, she was like, just take it. I know where you live. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. that I, don't, I don't feel comfortable with it. Um, and then she did something like just toss me the keys and said look if you ever need it just just take it it's no big deal and I said okay well maybe I'll borrow it today for work um which I wound up doing and then um the next day and the next day and the next day so for like three months she <laughs> let me borrow her car but this was the start of my relationship with my wife right um and really and and she has a different side of the story where where really it was the start of her relationship with Alex. <laughs> because I'll be honest, at the time, I still did not look like anything cool that you would want to date. Especially for a single female who grew up in the church. I, I had dyed black hair, I had a mohawk. Um, you know, I You had drank, a long goatee. Your goatee went down yeah. way down. Yeah, right. I had a long goatee. I was still a metalhead, you know, big time, you know, in the, in the, a lot of heavy metal and stuff. So I was scary looking. That's what she said. She said I was scary looking and she felt really sorry for Alex, <laughs> <laughs> which I probably, I probably do too. 
poor guy. Um, so, yeah, so she let me borrow her car and and she started kind of bonding with Alex too because we would be hanging out and she she and Alex and Alex really bonded with her also um and when when she would come home Alex would run outside and see the car hear the car pull up and she he Alex would yell JJ is that you and JJ said yeah it's me and she'd come over anyway this relationship started budding between the two of them and then so she and I, you know, because, you know, those two little, you know, Alex and her were not hanging out, but, but she liked him and, and he liked her. And, and so I kind of followed suit and realized that, oh yeah, this person, JJ is, is pretty awesome. Um, but it was funny because it gave me a chance. I was like, okay, cool. I can save some money so I can buy another car, you know, and I can use my neighbor's car for a little while. And now we have this friendship growing. Um, but then like in February, the next year, they found my truck, like abandoned in Phoenix. So, so this was cool because a, I found my truck, but now I had this little bit of money that I had saved up to try and buy a new vehicle. And it was only like $3,000 or something like that. But it was the first time I ever had like money in the bank, you know? And, and so JJ took me to go pick up the truck and it was so hilarious because it was just filled with chicken feathers <laughs> and, and the front seat was missing and that's, yeah. And, and, but it ran, it was just out of gas. There was like almost nothing wrong with it other than it smelled horrible, filled with chicken feathers and the front passenger seat was missing. And I never did wind up replacing the front passenger seat because I thought it was cool. Because actually, if you ever take out your front passenger seat in a vehicle, you realize you have all this space right here. And it was just me and Alex. So I was like, I'm not going to drive anybody around. What do I need another seat for? So I had all this space to the right of me as I drove where I could put a bag or like, you know, a backpack or, or, or hiking stuff. I don't know. Not that I hiked. Music gear. That's probably what it was. A um, yeah, fishing poles. Right. Beth knows I love to fish. Um, so, so the weird thing is, is my life started looking up, right? Like started getting better. And I didn't even really realize it at the time, but I was at the lowest of lows. And then JJ moved in next door and my life started getting a little bit better. Um, and then I guess, you know, a lot of things happen, but the big milestones is then JJ lost her job. Uh, she was laid off unexpectedly, not by anything she did, but the company was just laying people off and she got caught up in it. And so um, I was like, hey, I owe you big time. So, you know, I pay a small fortune <laughs> to this daycare company. I always tell Alex, I was like, I could have had a BMW, but I put you through daycare instead. <laughs> um, but so, uh, I told JJ, I was like, Hey, until you find another job, why don't I, cause you're my neighbor. This will help me out too. I'll just pay you what I pay the daycare center to watch Alex while I go to work. She's like, yeah, perfect. So we did that. But, but now when I come home, I'm not coming into my house, right? I'm going to her house to pick him up. So I don't know if she intended to do this. Um, but she, you know, I'd walk in and be like, hey, how's the day? Oh, it's good. You know, okay, cool. And she'd be like, hey, you want to stay for dinner? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's going to be better than anything I'm going to cook, you know, like hot dogs and, you know, pizza, frozen pizza or something. So that's how that started too. And um, all of our relationships, the three of us, myself, Alex, and JJ, just started to grow. Um, and then I started to have feelings for JJ, although I didn't realize it until the next, that, that, um, Christmas, which was Christmas, 2008. So she went home, which is in Oregon. Now I'm in Arizona. She went home for Christmas and the whole time she was gone, I really missed her. And, um, this was, this was like new feelings for Zach. <laughs> I was like, I really miss this person. I don't really know why. But it was obvious that I missed her. And we would talk on the phone a lot. Um, and when she came home, she's like, hey, you want to pick me up at the airport? And I was like, yeah, I want to pick you up at the airport. So I did. 
and it was hilarious because I picked her up my truck that only had, you know, the one front seat and then the back bench. And it was so corny, but I wanted to hold her hand while we drove. So I reached my right hand around back because she's sitting in the back seat to hold her hand while she's in the back seat. She probably thought this was nuts, but um, we did that. And I got to hold her hand while I drove home. It's totally stupid. Um, and, um, not, you know, talking to her about it now, obviously, she realized that she was kind of excited too. And, and she liked me and I liked her. And that kind of went on um, maybe for a couple of weeks. We really, really were starting to flirt with each other. Nothing like official or anything like that. But then I remember it was, a, it was, yeah, middle of January, something like that. I had a freak out moment where I knew, and a lot of guys do this, where I knew I had feelings for her, but here I am, you know, almost 30 and I have I'm a single dad. And I think I like this, this girl um, who at that time I knew was a member of the church and, you know, the Mormons. And I was like, that was maybe a little weird to me. Um, and I had a freak out moment and I pulled back big time, you know, and maybe even hurt her feelings a little bit um, saying that, you know, didn't want to, you know, maybe hang out or be around her that much anymore. And that was, that was really, really, you know, looking back really stupid and really insensitive, but I, that's what I did. And so for like a couple of weeks or a month, we didn't even like talk. Um, and I, and I just felt horrible and was not in a good place. Um, and I really, 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 really missed her. And I didn't really know what to do about it. It was like the stupid, stupid man who doesn't know how to tell the girl that he likes her. <laughs> it was so dumb. But I, I guess I called her one day. And yeah, she probably has a better, better remembrance of this story and said like, hey, you want to hang out? <laughs> and we would watch movies. And for whatever reason, and again, according to her now, she was like just about done with me too. But for whatever reason, she said, yeah, okay. So she came over and we like watched a stupid movie or something like that. And she was like, well, you know, I'm going to go. And, and there's probably more, more to it, more things in between. But I was like, wait, don't go. And um, she was like, no, you know, I don't want to do this. You know, this, this is, and I was like, just, just, just wait. And then, uh, According to her, and I guess I would agree, but she says it better. She says, that's when I professed my love to her. <laughs> and I basically said this. I said, look, it's, I kind of explained everything and explained how stupid I was being because the way I understood it, me being the age I was and having a son, I didn't really want to do anything unless I thought it was going to lead to marriage. <laughs> and that's probably how I internalized it. It probably came out something different. Whereas she heard, hey, let's get married, <laughs> which, was, which was funny because we weren't even like really dating at the time, but we knew we liked each other. And so she, and she liked me too. So she took a chance and she said, she even said, well, why don't we go on a couple of dates first? Um, but that's when our relationship really started to bloom because we could, we could be boyfriend and girlfriend, you know, so to speak. But that's when we dated. And, um, uh, we, we dated in, I don't want to say we went on a lot of dates, but we'd known each other for like a year, a year and a half already. Um, and now I'm meeting a lot more of her family. And we had that, we had a family reunion that summer, you know, you remember with the whole, yeah. I mean, the, all four tumor clans, you know, like a hundred plus people. And I asked her dad, you know, like, Hey, I was going to propose to her. And he's like, that's fantastic. You should do it as your skit in front of everybody. Um, but it actually really worked out. I got a lot of class points for that to do, to, to ask her to marry me in front of the whole family. So they all could witness that. And JJ really loved that too. So that was that summer. And then we set a date to get married. Um, so let's go back for just a second. Cause I want to know, knowing that JJ was a member of the church that you that she was feeling the love for you and you were feeling in love with her. How, what was your mind thinking about, okay, how do we reconcile the gospel, this faith? How do we work yeah. that together? Yeah. Funny, funny. So 
I remember talking to my parents about it and talking mm -hmm. to my dad about it. And um, I remember my dad saying, and I, and I maybe didn't feel exactly like this, but it, it gave me, I guess, an excuse to move forward in the relationship. He said, because I told, I told him, like, yeah, you know, she's, she's, uh, she's Mormon. That's the term I would use. And we knew Mormons. Remember my, our friends when I was a kid, right? And I'd go to their church. They were good family friends. We knew Mormons. And, and my dad was like, um, my dad was like, that's okay. That's okay. Because, you know, my parents are really into it. Here's, my, here's their son, you know, moving forward in life. and want to see this happen. They're like, that's okay. He said, that's okay. She's Mormon. Let, 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 her, let her do that. He said, let the girls do the religion thing. Um, let the girls do the religion thing. And he said that Ted, you know, our, my friend's father, he did that too. He just let, you know, his wife do the religion thing, um, which he did not. Uh, I came to find out, you know, a lot later and, and, and testified and know that he was a, he was a, cause he died of cancer um, a little while ago. And, and, and he was a active member of the church. Um, but in my mind, I internalized that. I said, Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. You know, my dad, who I have a lot of respect for, who did a lot of things right, saying, you know, don't worry about it. It's okay. They can, she can be religious. You don't have to be. And I was like, okay, okay. Yeah, that's fine. I can, I can that's good for me. Um, but at the same time, I will give myself some credit because I, I, made, I, I, I think it was kind of a cool thing, <laughs> knowing that I'm dating this person and I'm and wanting to, and falling in love with her and wanting to know more about her. I was like, hey, you know, let's, I, I wouldn't mind going, she asked me, you want to go to church? Yeah, I'll go to church with you. Um, and so I would go to church, church with her. And, um, and I was okay with that. And you remember, you know, when, after we were engaged, she would say, you know, well, here we are with Alex. What do you, what about our kids? Are you okay with the kids growing up in the church? And I was like, yeah, that's totally cool. I, I had, I really, you know, I had no problem with the church. In fact, seeing what I'd seen in my life, I was like, I can imagine, I know a lot of things a lot worse than, than being Mormon. So I have no problem at all if somebody wants to live a life like that. In fact, I look at, you know, just about every Mormon I met at, at the time. Sorry, I keep using the word Mormon, but that's just what it was back then when I started. But they were all really, really good people, much better than I was. And I was like, if, if my children grow up in that environment, I would be very, very happy. But it just wasn't for me. Um, so, so we got married in September. Um, oh, I need to do a huge backup too. So because of this too, JJ, you know, being a, a good member of the church, she said, you should meet with the missionaries. And I was like, yeah, okay. Who cares? <laughs> um, and we had sister missionaries. So this is about when we started dating, probably a little earlier. We say it was about a year that I gave the missionaries a problem um, before I was baptized. So about, yeah, about that January when she came home from, from Christmas and we kind of started dating, she would bring the missionaries over to talk with me about stuff. And man, I just gave them the hardest time. I don't think I was really rude or anything like that, but I would say stuff like, well, I saw this South Park episode about Mormons and, and then I would like list off all the things that came up in this South Park episode and say like, can you explain this? Can you explain this? Which is just, I, I feel so bad for them. Um, but there was one sister missionary, Sister Atwood, who, who was part of this, this change in my life along with my wife, who for whatever reason managed to stay in our ward just about this whole time. And they taught me all the time. And I loved when they came over because they were really nice and they were fun. And, and we would all hang out at JJ's house and have lessons. Remember, we lived next door. So it was really easy for me, us to go back and forth while we dated. Um, um, and, so, and so I was getting some exposure to the gospel. And, and it was good exposure. And they, they were teaching me, you know, all the right things that missionaries do. Um, I just wasn't, you know, confirming to be baptized. Honestly, in hindsight, I was just being stubborn, being prideful, because I didn't want to be a Mormon. In my, in my, for me, being the guy who I was, you know, Mohawk, metalhead, I was like, oh, that's lame. Being Mormon, stupid. I'd never do that. But, um, but I listened because I wanted to know more about my, my wife, who I was falling in love with. So, so then we fast forward to September and we were married in Oregon and it was awesome. 
um, really awesome ceremony out in the woods and, 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 and Alex was a big part of it. And then we, you know, went on our honeymoon. Um, and then when we came back, this was another like pivotal moment for me um, because I'd been taught the plan of salvation and, and I knew what it was too. It wasn't like I didn't know what it was. I knew what it was. And we came home and this is again, this is how I remember it, how it, how, how it is in my testimony. Um, the missionaries came over after we were married, after our honeymoon. So we're newlyweds and they came over to congratulate us. And I was so happy to see them because we really liked them. But sister Atwood, <laughs> she was, and she probably wasn't, but this is how I remember it. She was mad. She shook my hand a little harder that day and, and she looked me in the eye and um, she basically said something like, you know, you need to shape up. <laughs> I know you know this is true and you're just being stubborn and you have a family now and you're putting all of this in jeopardy. Probably not those exact words, but that's how I remember it. Um, to the point where it started to change my mind about baptism because of course they'd been teaching me about baptism and re recognizing that that they've been teaching me about eternal families and how I wasn't providing that reality for my now new family and I and I think I realized that and just like the way it goes um, that started sticking with me and it started to bother me and it was just in the back of my mind all the time and there were many other instances too like I remember talking to JJ's dad uh, Jerry who's who's an amazing example of, of priesthood and and just just hearing him say and I'll never forget this either this was another moment he said you know what? you'd make a good Mormon and I'd be like yeah all right you know, not for me but thanks buddy <laughs> but but that stuck with me too and so um I don't know if I really prayed a lot about it, but I came to the realization that um, when it came to baptism, you know, looking at my family, looking at my wife and realizing that, you know what, maybe being a member of this church isn't that bad. And there's a lot of good things. And I kind of believe what's going on. I'm not really like totally sure, but when it boils down to it, I don't really have a problem with being baptized. <laughs> it's like, I guess it, I don't have a problem not being baptized or, or not, not being baptized. So, so I, I talked to JJ about it and we had a really good, you know, conversation and she was adamant that she wanted to make sure that I was doing it for me and not for her. And I was like, I think I am. I think I am because I think there's something, you know, telling me that there's more going on here. So, uh, and Zach, I mean, didn't the sister, weren't they going to remove you from their, the list of meeting with you? Yeah. Right. Cause I give them, give them a hard time for a long time. And I wasn't, I wasn't, I was on their non-progressing list. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I know what that means now. Right. But I was, yeah. I was yeah. Non <laughs> <list>. <laughs> Which I'm like, uh, <laughs> I deserve that. Um, but yeah, and so I, I, I decided to be baptized and made a date for baptism. And um, then Sister Atwood got transferred out. <laughs> Poor girl. But they gave her permission to come back to see my baptism because she was such a huge part of it. I um, and, and the people of the ward, and they, they knew about me, right? And they were rooting for me and rooting for JJ. They gave us a lot of leeway. I remember even saying like, hey, can I get baptized in a river? Because I like fishing. And the state president was like, whatever, dude, whatever it takes, get baptized, fine, if that's what we want. But this was December. So it was, and even though it was Arizona, it was still pretty cold. So yeah, it was December 9th, um, got baptized in the stake center in um, Tempe, Arizona. And Sister Atwood was there. And, and I don't remember much from it uh, other than uh, the ward mission leader, my good friend at the time who helped fellowship me in a lot of discussions, Derek Judd. Um, he baptized me. And I remember it was good. 
I was like, okay, yeah, cool. You know, I got baptized. Um, and I didn't realize till later on that week when I was at work and for no apparent reason, from my point of view, one of my friends at work said, and out of the blue, what's with you? I was like, what do you mean? What's with you? What's with me? And he said, I don't know. You're just so much happier. <laughs> I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, what's going on? And I was like, I don't know. But in my mind, I'm like, is it because I was just baptized? <laughs> but in looking back on it now, yeah, looking back on it now, that's exactly what it was. Um, I had been, I had been baptized. I had been born again. And I had the gift of the Holy Ghost with me. And, and I thought it was cool that at least one other person could see it. And they had no idea. They didn't know I was baptized or they could just see this change. And then that's when I kind of internalized it. Oh man, you know, I've, I've changed, something's changed. And then the doors just opened. And um, I, I teach a lot of people who are investigating the church now who are, are you know, contemplating baptism. And like, I don't know, I don't really have the Book of Mormon memorized yet. Or, and I'm like, dude, you, that's not when you need to be, you know, the, nobody's going to have, or it's very difficult to have a Book of Mormon baptized, especially before you're going to be baptized. But just telling them what I went through, that it wasn't until I was baptized that I really started to gain a testimony um, and start seeing the gospel for how I understand it now, which is still very rudimentary, if you ask me. Um, you know, I don't know, half of anything that a lot of my friends who are in the church know. Um, but beginning to feel that, that spirit with me all the time has just been a huge blessing in my life. And then, yeah, just, you know, since JJ moved next door to me, things have just been getting better and better and better and better. And that was in 2009 when I was baptized. Um, and it's 2021 and I mean, I went back to school, got my degree, uh, you know, job promotions. You and JJ? George come George. along. Mm -hmm. Yeah, George came along. Uh, went back to school again, got my master's. Now, you know, job opportunities came up. Um, continuing to progress in the church through different callings. Just seeing miracle after miracle while I'm working in these callings. It's just, I, I tell people, it's crazy. It blows my mind how, um, how all of this has just changed me and how amazing <laughs> all of this was. And I, I talk to, to, to priests and, and um, older, uh, our older young women's class now, because when they want to talk about a mission or something like that, and I, I, a lot of the priests will quote, quote me like, like, Brother Lorenzo, you don't know how good we have it. <laughs> Because I'll tell them, I'll say, you don't know how good you have it. <laughs> that, that I give anything, knowing what I know now, to be able to go back to that, that day I moved out from my parents' house into that apartment with my friend. And instead of doing that, go on a mission. Um, man, what, what, what would that have been like? Uh, I wish I could have done that. Um, but I, I do feel just totally blessed with where I am now because you know and it's not all peaches and creams there have been so many challenges you know and to be honest a lot of them are, are you know JJ and I dealing with some of the the um uh, you know the fallout from the all of the things that I was doing before what's that the consequences yes exactly you know from 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 premarital sex, from drugs and alcohol abuse, um, you know, the things that she's had to put up with, with me, yeah, you know, she's a saint for going through it all. Um, they, 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 you know, they change your life forever. So there's been, there's been tons of challenges for sure. But overall just the the i don't know i like i say i tell her it's just crazy the amount, the amount of cool things that i've seen you know and, 
and then where I am now compared to where I was before I got to you know I'm blessed to have this this our little family and we got two boys we almost had three but we got two and we're thankful for it um we're out here in the, in the Seattle Tacoma area now You're uh, which I love yeah, right. So serving in the bishopric, which is total, you know, that's crazy. When we moved out here seven years ago, I was put into young men's. And I just, oh man, that's the coolest calling in the world for a guy. And um, then was young men's president. And then when um, they dissolve young men's presidencies, they put me into the bishopric. And, 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 and it's just each step of the calling of callings, you know, through the church of just that's probably since since baptism it's been those church callings and going into each one not knowing anything about it but just just not giving up you know and just sting, sticking around and doing what you can to help out um man i just learned so much and, and most of those miracles that happened in my life all the little ones that built my testimony were through those callings doing things with those callings um yeah so it's been a crazy journey, Beth. Well, you are a huge example to me, to my boys, to our whole family. Because um, JJ and Matt, my husband, as most of you know, probably, there are eight children. And um, Zach is incredible. <laughs> I don't want to make you uncomfortable, <laughs> Zach, but you are. You're a huge example to us. And um, before we end today... I just wanted to know, like, what do you do on a regular basis? If it, you know, daily, weekly, that helps you to continue to seek light in your life and stay, you know, true to what you've learned and true to the gospel and, and to be a disciple. What, what are you doing? What do you do regularly? So, so for me, you know, a lot of the basics, as cheesy as that sounds, um, but I, I, I need prayer. I think that's because when I was at my low, that was the only thing I had. So I say so many prayers throughout the day, some big, you know, formal prayers, many small ones. Diving into my calling really helps me out too. And not so much, um, like trying to figure it all out, but just, just trying to, you know do anything to to help um a big thing for me that i've learned to do in the last you know four or five years is follow the promptings of the spirit um and taking that chance on a prompting those those experiences lead me down those paths that that leads me down build my testimony more than anything um Cause you get that little feeling that, Oh, I should go visit this somebody. And then all of a sudden it turns into a really big thing um, is amazing. Um, uh, the eternal perspective. <laughs> this is one too, where I really enjoyed the idea of the plan of salvation. And, and it brings me, this is one of the things that brings me the most peace when things are hard is realizing that this life is a short amount of time in the grand scheme of things. And um, it's meant to be hard, it's meant to be difficult, but it will pass. And I will eventually get to a place where, where, um, where I can have the strength to be beyond the challenges of this world in this uh, you know, terrestrial world. Um, to something more celestial and I know that that's going to happen <laughs> and so I have peace uh, in this world understanding that that no matter what happens you know the grace of Jesus Christ will will be enough and and I'll be okay my family will be okay those are the things that I kind of lean on every day Zach Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for being so um, honest and sharing your story. And thank you for your example. Yeah, thanks for inviting me to, to share it. <laughs>
Well, I think it's going to be able to bless many people's lives and help them continue and not give up um, in, in our journey here on this earth of trying to seek light. So thanks so much. Yeah, thanks to you, Beth. I really appreciate what you're doing here with your, your podcast and everything. I think uh, they're very good. <laughs> Nobody's <laughs> ever told you that. They are. And you, I love that you just want to, I don't know, it's nice. You just get, want to bring joy to some people in this world. And I feel honored to be a part of that. Thank you. Thank you. I am so grateful that you listened to my latest podcast. Please share these episodes with your family and friends. I look forward to being with you again soon. Have a great day.